Mine is the undeniable power of the insatiable blood axe. Hello, it's us again, the episode something. Yes, uh, I'm Andy. I'm Ralph. And we're in the Burns Cave for another episode of the Exciting Startup Podcast. Yes, Startup, the exciting podcast about those elements of popular culture that people don't talk about enough. Uh, I like to preface this edition uh, with a slight explanation. Um, I may or may not, at some point during this, sound either drunk or drugged. I am neither drunk, nor am I properly drugged. Uh, I am on some pain medication and other medication as I have pulled a ligament in my arm and I've been fading in and out all week basically. So if I wig out, that's why. I might be okay, I might not, I just don't know. Just thought I'd say. I, I have no complaints on any medication so I will be giving you my full attention for what it's worth. So, talking of full attention, um, we have Andy's, one of Andy's favourite parts of the show, it's Comic Spotlight when he, he tells you about a comic. So I'll just introduce this comic, because uh, I know he's going to get a lot of enjoyment out talking about it. And then of course we'll look at the most important part of the comic, namely the advertisements. So, we're in the space year 2013, I believe. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes we are. I just have to check it. It's 8 cocodamol, 500 milligrams a day, plus the red ones. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Um, Anyway, so uh, this is a comic, and uh, in the corner of the comic it says, Avengers Assemble, A30th, 30 years, 1963 to 1993. That's right, we're now coming up on 50 years of Avengers comics. So at the point, as you probably guessed by now, because you have ears, uh, this uh, came out in 1993. It's a, it's a special shiny cover, uh, the sort of uh, sparkly... Uh, hologrammatic, not quite, but sparkly things Andy described them. Holofile. Holofile, thank you. It's Marvel Comics. It's the first explosive issue of Thunderstrike. That's right, Thunderstrike. What was Thunderstrike, Andy? Thunderstrike was a spin-off from the Mighty Thor title. Now, need to go back a little bit. Is Marvel's incarnation of Thor a has had basically Thor was in, basically imprisoned in the human form of Don Blake to teach him humility and that was kind of the, the get go for a while up until Walt Smonson took over the title and pretty much abandoned the Don Blake persona Indeed. after Walt Smonson's run ended there was a, a couple of filling issues then the book was handed over to Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends and during the course of their run they brought back Thor being trapped in a human body in a kind of way in that now these aren't spoilers because these comics are 20 years 20 plus years old now yes. people so but Thor at that point killed his brother Loki and Heimdall the, the current ruler of Asgard due to Odin being in the Odin sleep uh, punished Thor and basically Thor was banished uh, but his power was given to a mortal Eric yeah. Masterin who then had to take up the run of Thor Indeed, and uh, this comic, um, as was traditional um, Marvel comics for a long time, has a little, a little piece of text on the first page just above um, the start of the story, which would uh, sort of give you just a little taste as to what this comic is about, the general theme, because as we all know, every comic can be someone's first, whether it's a first issue like this or any other. 
So I'll, I'll just read this out to you in a voice. Okay? Uh, I'm going to do the voice of Eric Masterson himself for this. You ready? Terrifying, but go ahead. When architect Eric Masterson taps his wooden walking stick upon the ground, it is transformed into a mystical weapon called Thunderstrike! Armed with incredible powers, Masterson works to prove that one man must make a difference because this world still needs heroes. Stanley presents Thunderstrike! And then the story begins with this exciting narrative. Carjacking! A national disgrace that has spread across this land like an unchecked cancer. Carjacking! No one is safe. None are spared. To Carol Platt, what a name. The horror begins as her car door is brutally yanked open and rough hands her to the cold, cold street. But that's when the horror bursts from Carol's lips. A cry full of desperation, fear and something more. Because she's been menaced by some thugs. He's menaced by some thugs. And we turn the page and then Andy will tell us what happens next. Basically, the thugs get confronted by Eric Masters, who's still in the Thor get-up that he's in. <coughs> because this is basically the first issue, which is continues on from the Thor run, and has him that uh, he... first issue is about him establishing his new persona, basically. Yeah. So basically, uh, you've got someone who has the power of the Norse god Thor up against some carjackers. Needless to say, it's over fairly quickly, and he smacks... and well, basically uh, smashes, a, smashes a car up. I think it's actually her car though, which is kind of the bizarre thing. So she isn't carjacked, but he does total her car. Mm. Which is kind of one of these the great things about Eric Maston is that he did try he tried to, to be a good Thor, but more often than not got through through luck rather than anything else. Yes. Uh, so he kind of Saves the woman, the police turn up, they call him Thor, and he flies off going, I really need to sort this out and get more identity, I'm not Thor anymore. He gives a, a recap about what's happened to him, just obviously that he's got the... Because the whole point of this was Thor wasn't going to come back to Earth, so Eric Masson was going to do... was be a successor. And so it then goes into his personal life. Now, he's a Marvel character, so it's complicated. Indeed. He Now, he has a fine mullet, which we should point out, that's a very it's good mullet, yeah. Comic, mullets and comics looked alright, it's just mullets in real life. Don't yeah, that's the thing, it's like even when Superman had his mullet. It looked alright. He would look at it and he would go, that looks like a, a fine looking superhero. I wouldn't mind being rescued out of a tree if I was a cat. But by if, a if you'd seen him in, in real life, you'd think Schedule 1. I don't know, you don't really, I, I, I don't really associated mullets with... You would if he was in a Superman costume. A mulleted man, a man with a mullet in a Superman costume. Screams to me, sex offender. I've never seen a, a, a man in a Superman costume with a mullet before. But it would scream sex offender. I mean, I see lots of goths yeah. in Edinburgh, but I don't really see Superman. So, basically, his ex-wife... Now, I should point out that he's been observed mysteriously through, and it was a part of what was happening during his, own, his run in Thor was he they introduced a villain called Blood Axe. Good name. Uh, and he seemed to be on the periphery and had some connection to Mr. Masterson. So you see him kind of, he's dating his, he's meeting his lawyer who's uh, he's kind of dating as well. Mm. And just trying to sort things out. 
his wife and her, his ex-wife and her new hubby, who's a, an American football player, and built like a tank, and has also has a fine mullet, but punched on a moustache as well. He's also got a sort of ruggish, roguish uh, charm that people in 90s comics tend to yeah. have more than any other decade. And what happens is he's just going out, uh, he's basically, he says he's tired, but in a thought bubble, he's like, I don't know what's worse, lying to my buddies or my wife. So he's going out to a van, yeah. and he gets carjacked, someone twats him on the back of the head. And we learned about carjacking on page one, yeah. is the great crime. It's the 90s, it was. I know, kind of but it's, thing. It's, it's, it's topical. It's, it's topical, but it's unusual. And so the the masked chap who carjacked him goes back to uh, his uh, crime boss, who is called. What? Can you guess what he's called? I can't remember what he's called. Um, crime boss man. Dean Bell. Um, the boss man. The crime man. What crime are they committing? The, the carjack man. Close. Carjack or. Close. Jack off. No. Jack my car man! No, he's called Car Jack. Okay. <laughs> I had to stop because we're going, to, we're going in a bad place. I'm extremely medicated, I'm actually feeling a bit woozy. So he's kind of masked and, and sorting up. Now, what happens is we now cut back to Eric Mast and he's going to pick up his kid. Yeah. And it turns out he finds out that, uh, that his ex wife's new husband has been battered. And he looks, he's quite angry. And she's, she's twigged that he's hiding something. Could it be that he's blood axe? I think he might be. You don't find out in this, but basically what happens is later on, uh, he gets his blood axe. Oh. But you don't see it. But you, so blood axe is just a guy in a leather jacket with a big red skull and a shoulder pad and a big axe. But in the grand tradition, he does shout his name, which I feel is often important in these kind of things. It is the axe from the uh, executioner, though, so it's like an Asgardian axe. Yeah. It's not just he's not just a mad bastard with an axe. So it sort of ties into the whole, you know, Thor shadow over the comic, yeah. which makes sense for yeah. the spin-off title. And so Blood Axe goes after all the the carjackers to find out who it is. Meanwhile, uh, not Thor is scudding about the the air as as Thor does, with by chucking the mallet in a way that completely. Uh, Flies in the face of awful laws of physics. But it's good, though. It's great. It's how you know there's, a, there's a certain logic to it that doesn't hold up under any examination. It's a childlike logic because, I'm sorry, but Marvel Comics, along with the Distinguished Competition, they started as children's comics, right? So the, the, at their root, no matter how grim and gritty you make them, even in the 90s, they still have a childlike to it. And a child goes, I put my arm out and throw a hammer in front of me, I can fly. Because it'll drive me along. Because it'll drive me along. It makes perfect sense. And no amount of rationalisation can take that away. So that has a certain charm. Oh, it's, it's why I don't want Thor to be realistic, because we know what happens is if he was to do that, what would happen is he would chuck his hammer in the air and it hit him in the nuts. If Thor was realistic, it would be because he'd just be a dude in a plane. He wouldn't actually be able to fly through the air if he had chucked his hammer. He'd be crippled because he'd have smacked himself in the nuts so many times. He'd be able to walk. <laughs> Bang! Not shot. Oh dear. Maybe that's yes. why he looks angry all the time. Maybe those times that Odin strips him with half his power, he whacks himself in the nuts because he can't fly. That'll probably be alright then because it would only hurt half as much. Yeah, probably, but, the day, but, 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 probably the days he's like, thank you, thank you Father for stripping me of half my power. But, but does he get whacked in the left ball or the right ball if it's half his power? Always lefty. Always left, really? I'd, I'd imagine lefty is the one that takes the abuse. Thor's right handed. I've always right handed people take abuse in the other side. I've often felt that the right ball uh, has more power than the left ball. But are you right handed? I'm right handed. Yeah. But generally, you know, as all, as all men should do when you do your periodic health check, you know, as, as recommended, you should always have a good feel of your balls. 
just to make sure there's no lumps or uh, cancer type stuff going on there. It's perfectly uh, normal, acceptable. I'll always check the right one before the left one because somehow the right one seems more important. I mean, I'm not saying I want to lose any of them because that would be bad times for Ralph. Uh, I would like to keep my balls until the end of time. But if I had to lose one, you know, if I had to be struck down with some terrible ailment of some kind or, or, or one had to go to be, you know, given away for some purpose, for good perhaps, I'd rather left ball went than the right ball. And I'm sure Thor and, by extension, Eric Masterson in Thunderstrike issue one, where he to think of such a thing, would agree. Probably. But anyway, back, back to the Marvel, <laughs> the Marvel New York City. Uh, basically, uh, not Thor finds uh, Code Blue, which are so New York's team for combating superpowered thugs. Yeah. Introduced in Tom DeFalco's books and not used much outside of them, sadly. Yeah. Nice idea, but just Marvel, a lot of the other writers just didn't seem to pick them up. So basically, Thunderstrike's got all the all the cargackers in, in their cellies, basically a hostage situation. So Thor goes in to break things up and save the carjackers. Uh, some dynamic art mm -hmm. follows. And some fisty cuffs. <laughs> Fist on mask. <laughs> as it is, as they batter each other about. So there's, there's some fisting going on then. Fisticuffs. Yes. But basically, uh, Blood Axe gives uh, Not Thor a bit of a kicking. Oh uh, inside, Carjack and all of his, his folks just go, right, let's take our masks off and we can just kind of sneak our way out. So, as it happens, uh, Blood Axe bolts out and has Code Blue storm the place, and he, Not Thor's had a bit of a kicking. Again? He gets a lot, of, a lot Part of what it was, he wasn't actually all that effective. Yeah. And so he's kind of. And he's kind of a big slash page of him with a big. He's, not, he's not looking well. Broken nose and swollen eye and. Oh so he goes to basically get a new costume. So he goes to the place that gave him his, his version of the Thor costume. Yeah. Uh, and basically, some horrible, horrible chat happens here. Mm -hmm. Opens with tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Dear. That's the bell rings. Right. Uh, and it's the drip that goes, uh, she goes, Hi, handsome, I was hoping I'd see you again. Been following your exploits in the newspaper. What can I do for you this time? He's like, and he's in uh, a big, massive black trench coat. And he's like, like, I need a new costume. And she goes, My pleasure, just hope you'll mention my shop to your Avengers buddies. Because she still thinks he's Thor. Yeah. And, she goes, and he's got some preliminary designs. And she's got, she goes, Interesting, you're obviously going for a look which combines a classic with a contemporary. Yeah. Not a literal comment on the design evolution of Thunderstrike in any way, shape, no, or form. No, no, not at all, no. But she, she then makes a cardinal sin. A cape is way too 60s. Mind if I make a few suggestions. Mm. And he says, like what? She goes, well, I've always thought an earring can be so sexy on the right man. See, I, I've never agreed with that no. statement. I don't think an earring suits a man. Generally. You know, I mean, unless you're a pirate. If you're a pirate, I think an earring can, can be quite roguish. Or the Jordan. No, because the Bajorans are wussies. They're not that great. I mean, they could ask their arse time and time again. And they always tried to block the space station and they were shy at it. Bajorans were pish. They were, they were bogs. I mean, they had a huge wormhole in the space with prophety type people in it that they thought were their um, gods people. And they never even noticed. They just kept tugging at each other's ears. They're bogs. So, I'm don't But anyway, Carjack gets out of uh, jail and just Eric is on a date with uh, Jackie Lucas and he spots that 
this is by turning on TV at the exact time, sees him on it. So he borrows the phone of the woman he's out on a date to phone his ex-wife, which she comments on. And uh, I thought about And uh, it's all over here and says, you need to get Thor, because his son knows he's mates with Thor. So Eric bails on the date, uh, and she's questions blaze within Jackie's mind. Is it some misguided sense of responsibility? Mm. Some macho jock ethic which drives Eric on this fool's errand? Mm. Or does Marcy, Master and Steel have a greater, hold even greater sway than Jackie ever feared? Not sure. Tonight could have been, would have been so special. Nice to be special. Uh, so back at Carjack's lab, uh, or sort of base, they're all sort of getting drunk and having a laugh. And all of a sudden, Bloodaxe teleports in and is about to chop off Carjack's head with an axe. When he gets hit in the back by Thunderstrike's mallet. And big splash page of Thunderstrike debuting. Can I be doing his dialogue? You can. Okay, here we go. <coughs> no one dies tonight! Not a man can help it! What? Like that? Yeah. So basically, what's the Thunderstrike costume? Well, it's the costume from his run of Thor with slightly uh, different boots yes. and a leather jacket with no sleeves and a random glove thing for where he holds the hammer. And it's got, instead of having a leather thong around the bottom of the mace, he's got a chain. And he's pulled his long hair in a ponytail and has a horrible lightning bolt earring. Don't approve of that earring. I don't, I don't approve of it. It doesn't make him look masculine. No, and so basically, Thunderstrike versus Bloodaxe round two. Uh, as it ha- what happens then is Carjack and all the thugs turn their bullets on them and start shooting. Uh, they don't obviously kill either of them and Blood Bloodaxe repels the bullets, deadly bullets back with a stream of magnetic force. This sends Thunderstrike Tonto because he said no one was going to get killed. And so he batters seven bells out of uh, Bloodaxe until he hooks the axe under the, the mallet and hoofs it away from Bloodaxe. While giving him a lecture. Mm. Raw power is never enough, my friend. Power without responsibility, compassion and intelligence is merely a defeat waiting to happen. It's true. Uh, and he batters him. Bloodaxe mm-hmm. uh, is then, still still without the axe, is trying to pick up the car and, and leather him. But uh, Thunderstrike basically, with his enchanted mace, shoots lightning bolts at him. Bloodaxe escapes, minus the axe, it becomes a, a subplot. Code Blue and all the ambulances appear, and uh, basically Thunderstrike triumphantly escapes from the ruins, holding both his his mace and Bloodaxe's axe. And at the end of it goes, the name is uh, Thunderstrike. Dum, dum, dum. But it's better than Sparky the Lightning Kid. And I'll never get around to that for the way I'm going. The name is an easy problem, but where's the real, but where's the real Bloodaxe? Whatever happened to Bobby Steele, and what am I supposed to do with this dumb axe? I may have just gotten hit a little bit too hard in the head because it actually seems to be whispering to me. Who boy, something tells me that my problems have just begun. Next issue, as if our magnificent mace wielder didn't already have enough in his mind, he gets a most unexpected visit next month when the juggernaut comes a-calling. Fucking hell. And that's the end At of least there's not a spate of house burglaries, burglaries after the carriage. Yeah, so now, be honest, to, now this was done by... Who are we guilty? Uh, oh, guilty. <laughs> Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, who were really like, the, yeah. the regular team on Thor, who basically jumped off Thor to do this. I quite like Tom DeFalco's run of Fantastic Four back in the day. Yep. Up until the death of Big Richards. Yeah. 
I still enjoyed it. I'm not really in any sense, but I still enjoyed it at the time. It might not hold up. I think it's just nobody gets out alive. That was great. That was brilliant. Where were your push? But I have a lot of time for Don DeFalco because he did a very good run on Spider-Man as well. Yes. He also uh, wrote Fantastic Five, uh, one of the Marvel comics too, that, that I wrote into an issue five and then they cancelled it. Which was unfortunate. But he did write Spider-Girl, the book that it took several years and several attempts to put to put to death before it eventually got there. It was actually a bad book. Yeah, it was good. Right. just never got the traction, yeah. traction it needed. But no, so it is, it reeks of the 90s. No. It's the, it's the best way to describe it. That's true, but, but there has, has a few uh, good points to it, in addition to the uh, nice cover and cardboard and so on, is a more serious point, which is it's it's what comic should be, which is here is issue one, here is your protagonist, here is a flavour for the type of adventures you may have, here's a complete story, but with some mysteries to make you want to come back to read it. Not here is the first part of a graphic novel, which will take you 30 seconds to read. Not much happens, but that's up the premise. So, uh, uh, things, comics like Thunderstrike, for instance, at the time, I did not rate particularly highly. Um, it wasn't my cup of tea, I thought it was a bit dull and so on. But it actually, bizarrely enough, ages well and actually reads a lot better compared to most modern comics because, again, it's a whole comic. Yep, it is. A whole story. I mean, DeFalco was obviously at the time at Marvel's editor-in-chief as well, so you don't generally get that job if you don't have some jobs. Uh, he's, a, he's a good, solid superhero writer. Uh, Rod Friends, uh, when he took over Thor, uh, for Marvel, uh, allowed a lot of his uh, Kirby influences to to have a, a greater effect on his art, and he's kind of kept it. And it's not a straight up copy of Kirby. He has his own style, but it is very Kirby influenced, True. which is no bad thing, particularly if you're doing a title which is based on Thor. Yep. Uh, fantastic stuff. It is the same. Great storytelling. Mm -hmm. Clear, concise. Okay. There is a lot to it. Again, points off for the earrings. Well, it's the only, it is actually the only bum note on the costume for me. I don't mind the leather uh, jacket type to, thing. To be honest, otherwise it looks like the costume could have been designed last week, to be yeah. sure. There's nothing wrong with it. Yep. That's fine. Uh, so, are the adverts? Oh, this is the important part. None of this talking about the comic crap. But Who gives a shit about Thunderstrike? Let's talk about the adverts. Thunderstrike's available for not much in most bargains. Uh, it was also like reprinted, there was a, a trade of it yeah. a year or two ago um, because it was a new mini series and yeah. some of the old stuff got printed as well. But yeah, if you want the original issues, you can get them uh, well, from your friendly neighbourhood charity shop, actually, yep. or Comic Mars or the Bay of E for buttons. If you're paying more than a pound an issue, you've been robbed. Yep. So uh, you can track it down, that's fine. So, do we start front cover to back or back to front? Give it here. Give it here. No, give it here. You've had the comic, it's my turn. Yeah, but you have a busted wing. I've got one I've good arm. It's an action arm. Really? Yes. Quite it still good. works. That's right, kids. Boss action arm is intact. I want to show the comic. I'm medicated. Leave me alone. I'll get angry about it and, and do medication type things. Mm -hmm. 
I know your critical weak spot right now. You're no threat to me. But my critical weak spot, which is the non-action arm, is, is away from you. And they'll sling up this now to stop it swinging about. Now, let's talk about the adverbs. What's just want to know? First exciting adverb uh, is for shock tarts. Uh, power of sour. The power of sour. Got a little comic strip here um, about the power of sour. So they're sort of like sweetie type things. They come in either tubes or packets. And they are sorted high intensity uh, chewy sour candy. Not much to say about it other than uh, the comic strip features a superhero called SD, which stands for who can say. Uh, it has some kind of adventure. You can send off for uh, a power of sour sunglasses, which are multicolored, which is very exciting. Very expensive though, five dollars. Nineteen ninety-three. Well, I think that's a bit extortion. So then we've got some, we've got some pages of comic, comic push. Uh, there we go. Um, advert for. Let's see what we got here. Captain Crunch. I always wanted Captain Crunch. No, American candy. Yeah, I know. But back in the day when you got US comics, you would see, and there's Captain Crunch, and it was like a pile of cereal. It's like I want that. It's pretty good. Uh, and you can't get that crunch out your head. Says some idiotic child. Talking of idiotic children, there's an advert for some kind of movie called uh, Josh and Sam. And we should put now that Sam is S dot A dot M dot, meaning a sand, a stands or something. Push. It stands for strategically altered mutant because that's what Josh tells his brother he is, and they run away. You're familiar with this motion picture? I'm aware of it. Can you tell us what? That's all I can remember. Okay. okay. Uh, we should seek that out. We shouldn't. I'm sure there's some YouTube. Sure it is. Um, an advert for some comics. Uh, yep, there we go. There's a lady not winning much. It's a uh, dialogue uh, from one of the Marvel swimsuit editions. Yeah, and she's telling us uh, via her enormous boobs uh, that if we send a pound off with the colour catalogue, uh, we get something free. There or a dollar. There we go. I'm medicated, leave me alone. Uh, oh, best bit low, Bill Pen Bulletins. Uh, this week's Stan Soapbox uh, was talking about uh, Spider-Man in Japan and a survey taken in Tokyo revealed that more than 70% of the Japanese population actually know who Spider-Man is. So there's some information from Stan. Now, the most important thing, perhaps the most important part of this comic, what other issues were out this week? Well, let's see what we got here. Uh, also it was Alpha Flight issue 125. Uh, written by Simon Furman, art by uh, Pat Brodick or Dario Carrasco. It was an Infinity Crusade crossover, it says here. Does that help? I know what Pat Brodick. Amazing Spider-Man, issue 382. David Michelini, Mark Bagley, Larry Malstead. The Hulk stops in, there you go. Avengers 16 Marvel Milestone, reprinting the classic lineup change. Barbie, issue 34. A fortune teller reveals Barbie 2099. Uh, no idea who did that. Uh, Darkhold issue 13. Enter the missing link. Password <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Ghost Rider issue 42. Shot down in a blaze of glory. Bobby Howard Mackey and Montgomery. Grew Trade Paperback Festival. Uh, the festivities are just beginning. Begin beginning apparently. Guardians of the Galaxy issue 41. Uh, I actually have that. Meet the 31st century Thor. It's Michael Gallagher who took over, but kids, Guardians of the Galaxy classic has one one good run, which is the Jim Valentino run. Uh, uh, Kevin West on pencils. Okay, here's one I heard of. 
Hyperkind issue two. That's one of the Clive Barker uh, ah. razor line one. You can get a paper cut by shaving with the razor line, it says here. Lethal Foes of Spider-Man issue two or four. Well, that was a sequel to Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Take a number to kill Spidey. Marvel Superheroes Special 15. Thor and Drag. Wahoo, it says. Okay. Uh, yeah. Morbius Revisited issue 3 or 5. Who the heck is Hell's Eyes? Apparently. Thought wants to read Morbius. <laughs> Night Thrasher issue 3. <laughs> new, new Warriors at one point were popular enough that characters got spin off many series. Melee and Magipur, apparently. Psychonauts issue 1 or 4. So there you go. That's another of the Barker ones. Punisher Warzone issue 20. That's the third, that's right, third Punisher title. Uh, Frank takes down Nams and Numbers. Little joke there. Oh. Did there. <laughs> Quasar issue 51. That's right, Quasar got past f four years. And this issue guest starred the Squadron Supreme. Ravage 2099 issue 11. You got to meet his family. Uh, uh, not all 2099 titles were good. True. Uh, Sabretooth issue 3 or 4. Uh, he learned he's a dad apparently. Yeah. Uh, Savage Sword of Conan issue 2 and 4. Uh, which have sword swinging excitement. Supposed to be another issue. Which didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Secret Defenders issue 8. Oh. Which uh, <laughs> apparently features the end of the world. Now, Secret Defenders is a legendary title from Marvel. It's fated as sort of one of the, the books that came out the tipping block of the uh, speculator boom dying. And it was Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe that sort of depowered at that point, but still had threats that, need, that needed to be dealt with. So he would assemble a team yeah. for a specific mission. Kind of like Mask, but no, without masks. No, mask. well, well, apart from the ones that superior superior. Right. Uh, Silver Sable issue 17, which was an, an Infinity Crusade crossover. Yes, uh, you notice that none of the very few of the good titles cross over with <laughs> the Infinity. Uh, oh, the cavalcade continues. Sleepwalker issue 29. Uncle, oh, oh, Uncle Bob. Apparently, in this issue, Sleepwalker turns evil. It's Uncle Bob. I oh, know. Wild Thing issue 7. Marvel UK title. With the, with the tagline. We have to hype new artist Brian Hitch. Except, what became of him? Except he's not new because he's done work exactly. before at that point already. Uh, Wolverine issue 74. Just, oh that's... Uh, Saga of the Sentient Sentinel. So this is the month before he gets his adamantium ripped out. Apparently so. Fuck's sake. Wonder Man issue 26. Where Wonder Man the ship ball bag goes to Asgard. That's what it says here. Is that an Infinity Crusade dialogue? It does not specify that it's an Infinity Crusade crossover. I know you crossed over in Infinity War. Yeah. I don't think he was in Infinity Crusade because he was shit. No, he was in Infinity Crusade. I hate Wonder Man, he's eight. He's in Infinity Crusade. He's eight. X-Factor issue 95. Somebody's got something called Random in it. That's uh, the proplasmic teenager that masquerades as a bounty hunter. Splendid. Uh, X-Men Adventures 12. The Wildman. Features the fate of Arch, Archangel. Or Archangel, that's the one. Uh, X-Men Annual 2, which introduces in, in... Imperium. That's the one. There we go. So that was very exciting, wasn't it? Let's move on uh, through this cavalcade of, of comics. We've got some more story, which is not really very interesting. 
Oh, here we are. Uh, Advent for the Sega Genesis. And you can buy the oh, Simpsons. Mega Bar Drive to uh, British citizens. Yep, and you can get the Simpsons Bart's Nightmare game. Then, hilariously, an advert for a DC product. Yeah, the Marvel yeah. comic, no less. The advert for the DC Bloodlines trading cards. Uh, Bloodlines, what do you know about that? Bloodlines was uh, a crossover where it was the two oversized issues and it was crossovers about the annuals that year where aliens sort of attacked humans and turned used with those that had sort of some of the metagene in them, turned them into new heroes. It basically introduced a new hero to each other. Oh, why is Superman got glasses on? That's uh, the advert, unfortunately, uh, has nothing to do with bloodlines, but actually has stuff from the reign of the Superman. And that's because there's reign of Superman cards in the Yes, I think it's just the time which has that's the eradicator. Yeah. Version of Superman. The eradicator. No. That's how he sounded. No. The video version. I am the Eradicator, I am the Eradicator, that's what you talk like. Steel, the boy of steel, and of course the cyborg Superman who turned out to be Hank Henshaw. I'll eradicate you. Right, let's move on. Uh, swiftly, he said, turning pages like like a page turner turned me. This is audio dynamite, I'm telling you. Told you. No. Just, just, Phil, Phil. Oh. Um, hello to Phil. Ah yes, hello to a silent member, we've not mentioned Phil, have we? Yeah, no. What's he got to say for himself this week? I thought as much. I agree. And hello to Nick Roche. Uh, advert for uh, baseball cards for the Major League. This is the Upper Deck uh, Fun Pack. But it's got a picture of a dude, so not much fun in there. And, uh, yeah, I'll give you a Oh, let's see what he did there. And uh, they've got uh, Zit Fighters. <laughs> Zit Fighters from Outer Space. Superheroes from a society so advanced, Zits are just a painful memory. Sworn to fight Zits wherever they find them, using the most powerful methods in the galaxy. And there's a comic strip featuring not Nick Fury. Yeah, not Fury. <laughs> not Fury. Uh, he's called Major Stark, uh, who uh, is on a spaceship. Yeah. And he's told they're picking up an eruption on Earth, and he has to go immediately. Because Mount Fuji is apparently going, going to explode. And uh, various exciting things happen, and they, they deal with it. So that, that was good. But never mind that, because uh, there's, oh, there's, there's, there's better stuff over there. I was about to say that. Well, that's what I was moving on to. Don't you disparage me. It's the, the subscription page, because it's got Marvel's best X-Men team at the time, Excalibur, as drawn by Gary Frank. So you've got a, one picture on top of Lockheed, with a coconut with a, 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 a assuming alcoholic beverage in it, Listen to Walkman with some people and a fetching pair of online shorts. Indeed. And then you've got uh, get Kitty Pride and Megan uh, sitting in the background while Nightcrawler teleports with hot dogs in his hand. While over in the background is Captain Britain in a Union Jack uh, apron making barbecue products. Phoenix, not allowed to be seen though. And no widget. I believe it's from the Marvel Swimsuit Special. Right, it is indeed from Marvel Swimsuit Special. But Gary Frank artworks. Very nice. So, Marvel was available. Well, <laughs> we're not going to read all through it because it's quite tedious, but at this point, Transformers was available because this was when Generation 2 was out. That's right, good times. But yes, uh, this was when Adam Warlock had two titles. Yeah. Because Warlock Chronicles was not an eight issue limited series despite what they told us in the end. Lies. It was a second ongoing. Filthy lies. Tech World was available for subscription. Oh, Tech World. Biker Mice from Mars? Biker Mice from Mars. 
Uh, Death Head 2 still at the time. Yep. Black Axe. Hey. Cyberspace 3000. Which we've covered before on this yep. podcast. Uh, Law Dog. What? I think it was one of the epic titles, like the heavy oh, hitters that kind of... Oh, okay, that's what you look out for. Um, yeah. So these are, these are from the slightly more expensive range. Yes. What's in the cheap stalls? Uh, Barbie had not one but two titles, because there was Barbie and Barbie Fashion. Wow. That's right, Barbie had the same amount of titles that the Avengers had. <laughs> uh, Dark Hawk was still being inflicted on people. Fucking Dark Hawk. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's kind of right, because it's literally, uh, it's basically the Spider-Man uh, glut, the Punisher glut, and the X-Men glut. Right. But you could get, basically, all individual titles are $15 for 12 issues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, mm. I mean that. Yeah. And of course on the back, what if you could get an exclusive Marvel trading card Three and specially marked packages of Crunch and Munch. And See, one of the things American listeners have to understand is that for those of us who um, either got these comics uh, from news agents, that's right, news agents, yep. or if you were lucky enough uh, to be able to travel to a, special a strange shop. specialist comic shop, which was a special trip to get these comics, you would see these adverts. And I was always particularly fascinated by ones for cereal and uh, chocolate as well. Chocolate, sometimes sausages or meat products of some kind, where you would get like a, a Marvel card or a, or a special Marvel comic. The Charleston Chew. The Charleston Chew. And you would get and you would just go, Well, why can't I get them here? This is way before you, you maybe knew people in America or or were old enough to be able to even say to someone, Can you send over a box of this fabulous cereal? I don't want the cereal, I just want the Marvel comic packing. And it's great. I mean, that's one of the things that's wrong with modern comics, uh, particularly digital comics, because it's not the adverts in them. I think there's got more to do with it. It's not so much whether the digital comics have the adverts in it or not, it's that there's no money in people advertising comics. Yes. Because the, see this point? This was when comics were on the newsstands, so there was a point in actually advertising, because yep. you would get it in the hands of people. Children, perhaps. Yeah. Gasp. <gasps> crazy idea. idea. But let's, let's not get old and better. No. Which leads us on nicely to the next topic we're going to talk about. Does it? Yeah. He's old and he's better. Oh, 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 oh. Certainly at the start of what we're going to talk about. Oh, oh, I'm moving the mouse to make the picture come up. Oh, the audio. This is fantastic. Yes, look, in my defence, I don't really know what's going on. That's true. Uh, That was a good segue, though. My segues are better. Um, So, yes, talking of segs and their ways. Um, yes, audio, which is what we're doing right now, very, very, very badly. Yes. Um, as, you, as you may have noticed from previous podcasts, we like Doctor Who, and one day, one day we'll get back to talking about Colin Baker's Doctor Who stories. Oof. We've not forgotten. You may have, we haven't. Anyway, um, one thing we've not really touched on uh, at all, I don't think, is the audio realm of Doctor Who. I think we've talked, we've mentioned. We've mentioned them, I don't think we've. Apart from the the, the the Feast of Stephen we did. Yes, yes. But that was, that was a soundtrack of a television yes. episode. We've not actually done. So, uh, to explain, um, the, there are different companies that do the Doctor audios of different kinds. The ones we speak of are the full cast productions from Big Finish Productions, which you can find at bigfinish.com, where we are in the world. And they have been publishing uh, 
Audiobooks and film cast plays featuring Doctor Who since the space year 1999. Yes, so, and they did their own fan based ones prior, or well, most of them prior to that. Uh, called the Audiovisuals, uh, which are covered in a book called Justice Served, which we will have to cover at some point. Uh, later. That gives me an idea. But yes, uh, basically, a lot, but Doctor Who was off the air in the 90s. Uh, a lot of people like Nick Briggs, uh, Gary Russell and the like uh, made fan audios which they would take to conventions and sell. And uh, then a lot of these people uh, later on would uh, become involved in a professional company called Big Finish. So they started originally in 1998 producing audios starring Professor Bernie Summerfield who was a companion character of the Doctor from the 1990s New Adventure spin-off novels. Created by Paul Cornell. Created by Paul Cornell, who by that point had superseded the Doctor himself in Virgin's uh, New Adventures line. So, they initially did, uh, did uh, those audios, which were adaptations of New Adventures novels, sometimes with the Doctor written out, and sometimes actual Benny no novels, which were just adopted. And they were basically a way of getting something off the ground and taking something to the BBC to say, Although we quite like the Doctor Who license, look at what we can do. Now, the kind of style of audios um, that they did and still do today, even from the, the early uh, Bernie Summerfield releases, uh, which marks them out as unusual, other than anything to be honest about Dirk Mags, which is that they're not your typical radio or audiobook productions. Uh, whether it's film cast or someone reading uh, a story to you, it's a film soundscape all the way through. It's not spot effects and an odd musical sting. They basically sound like film and television soundtracks. Basically harkening back to what radio used to be before television took away. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that became remarkable from Doctor Who audio range, once it got up and going, uh, was that a couple of years in they managed to get Paul McGann. Now, to put it in context, Paul McGann had had his shot of being Doctor Who on telly, he'd done the television movie, was on screen for about an hour of that movie, and didn't get picked up, it came away, he went on to do other jobs. So while it wasn't so much of a surprise to have Peter Davis and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy back doing the audios because uh, they still did Doctor Who videos, did the fan circuit conventions, stuff like that, you um, never really expected to get Paul McGann because he wasn't as associated with the series, as I said, having only done one episode, which was just a job we did for a couple of months, that was it. So they got him and it became sort of the flagship uh, of Big Finish. Uh, when the television series uh, resumed on television in 2005, uh, Big Finish took the Eighth Doctor and basically spun him off into his own uh, series, which was very much patterned after the revived TV show, shorter episodes, faster paced, and they were either sold through their website or on BBC Radio 4 or BBC Radio 7. Radio 7. As it later became known as reverted to BBC 4. So that series ran for four years, had a certain uh, ending, a very definite ending, and left the Doctor in a very bad place. Don't really spoil it too much because the fourth series of that is currently being repeated on BBC iPlayer. Yes. So you can catch it there. But basically, uh, we had. Bit of a bad time with the Daleks. It's, it's basically, they've, Nick, Nick Briggs has gone on record as saying that they're never going to do an adaptation of a time war, even if they asked, because it could never measure up to where 
what your imagination would be for this thing. So it's basically mythical, but it's very much a doctor that you could see going the way that the Eccleston doctor is at the start, which is quite wounded and has obviously done a desperate act. So this is arguably setting perhaps in that direction. Yeah. It's kind of other direction if you want it to be, and if not... Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Uh, because the thing with the Eighth Doctor, uh, even back when BBC Books used to do their online of books, and when it used to feature uh, Doctor Who magazine's comic strip, is that because you only had them that one time on television, you didn't see regenerate. Uh, so of all the Doctors, all the quote-unquote official Doctors that were on television, the Eighth Doctor, for that was he, uh, has the most scope for doing anything you like. Because while we hope and pray and, and shake our fists, demand, that, demand uh, that the Moffat, particularly in the 50th anniversary of the year, hopefully features McGann on television, the odds of it actually being a regeneration scene are low because to be honest, it's kind of pointless and confusing for the audience. So we might see him on television again. But in terms of finding out how that doctor came to his end and turned into Christopher Eccleston, we'll never know. And actually, although it's by accident rather than design, it's, it's quite a nice thing because it means that Doctor can have adventures for years and years and years. It also means that, yes, even though it's on audio, that Doctor can get as old as he like because, you know, you, you never saw the end of him. So, um, so that's kind of, so, so even today, the Eighth Doctor, uh, as much as I always enjoy the full cast stuff with Doctors uh, 4 now, 4, 5, 6 and 7, and uh, the past Doctor stuff with Doctors 1 and 3 with the companions, Whatever does the Eighth Doctor always has a certain specialness to it that you just never can quite get with the other ones because you know how their story ends, basically. So, to cut a long story short, uh, Big Finish invested the Eighth Doctor for over the year. Um, Wisely, because at yeah. that point they got Tom Baker in, which was a big coup because they, they previously, at the very start, once they knew they, would, they had Davis and McCoy and, and Baker on board, Tom and... Paul McGann were the two ones that were going after and they initially thought that McGann would be more difficult than Tom yeah. as it transpired it was the other way around but Tom in recent years has kind of become more open to being involved in Doctor Who again yeah, but Ironically um, Paul McGann has probably played the Doctor continuously for longer than anyone else which he's been doing this since 2001 Mom? I want to say without yeah. any, any sad studies out of a year whereas yes the other um, Doctor started out from a 1999 audio and I've kept going continuously, but he has probably played it, you know, he's never had any breaks and he seems happy enough to do it, um, basically pop in a studio for a few weeks a year and do it. So, uh, so basically the idea was to, to rejig it and do it as a kind of box set special event called Dark Eyes. So here's the synopsis. I'm not going to do a Doctor voice. Do you want to do a Doctor voice? I don't think I can do a Doctor Voice. Go on, do it, don't. You never get to do the voice. <laughs> Go on. But, but, pretend you're from Liverpool. Go. I can't. Oh, you can't. I really hoped it would be a wonderful, wonderful view to look back from the end of everything to see how things finally turned out. I can't clap very I'm well. Not, right I'm now. not doing a Scouse accent. Okay. Well, that was fantastic. The Doctor is looking for hope, but instead he finds himself on a mission. The Time Lords have uncovered terrifying fragments of an insane plot to destroy the universe. And somehow, at the centre of that plot is one random female in Earth's history, Molly O'Sullivan. Soon, the Doctor and Molly find themselves thrown headlong into a series of dangerous and terrifying adventures. 
with the dreaded Daleks never far behind them. Dot dot dot. So yeah, that's your premise, and it's told across uh, four stories. And they. Yes, tell us about them. Uh, so it kicks off with the first one. As we said, the Doctor's been left in a very dark place uh, due to events in the previous stories to the death. Yeah, to the death. Uh, yeah. The Daleks were responsible for it. Yep. Uh, and he's basically raging and grieving and desperate, so he, he batters the TARDIS towards the furthest point in time that he can, can try to get to. Yep. But before he can get there, it's intercepted by a, a Time Lord purporting to be from the... Was it the High Council or the CIA? Uh, who sort of left them? Yeah. Well, it's got nefariousness. Yeah. nefariousness. Uh, basically, entreating him to, to do something. He goes, if I can give you hope. Yeah. Transpires that then the Doctor ends up embroiled in the Great War, the First World War, Indeed. Uh, where he encounters Molly O'Sullivan, who's a VAD, or a voluntary aid detachment. Not a nurse, and it's one of these things that these were people usually of money who would uh, drop everything and go off to help in the war just because they felt it was their duty to do that. Indeed. Uh, and basically, the Daleks and various other people are, are on the scene and there's some strange explosions and they f uh, a troop of Tommies find uh, the Doctor caked in mud rambling in the middle of a mustard gas attack. He's slightly injured by it but being a Time Lord having a slightly different respiratory system uh, is okay. Uh, one of the Vads totally falls in love with him because he looks like Byron. Yep. Uh, and Molly O'Sullivan has no time for him at all. Yes. Because uh, he's babbling and he just looks like a an effete twat. To be Indeed. Yeah. And because this is one of the, the big points is that this is where finally uh, a doctor other than uh, David Tennant does the and to a lesser extent Matt Smith does the, the thing of uniform gets changed. Yes. Because McGann's clothes are well a bit of a mess, yeah. so he ends up getting himself a, a slightly shorter haircut. And, uh, it's true, it's true, his clothes are destroyed so much he gets a haircut, acquires some stubble, yeah. uh, a nice man bag, and a, a brand new Sonic screwdriver, as well as a natty longer leather jacket. Well, the screwdriver gets d damaged during this, yes. which is why he it makes a nice right. new one. Now, you might think, hang on a second, this is, a, this is an audio series, why the big deal over him changing his costume? Well. As we said, Paul McGann was on screen for oh about an hour. Yep. So the 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 choice of because the Big Finish designed the cover to use photos to make it look to give it a, a certain look, and they've used the same. <laughs> it's actually a, a quite a testament to the creativity of the cover designers that they've got so much use out of the very limited amount of shots of Paul McGann. The same to be fair with the cover designers for BBC Books. Yeah. Uh, when they were they did they had out loads of those books and they still used it. But I remember in, in the Doctor Who magazine, The Watcher, who does a sort of comedy page uh, for a while, did a, the Space Time Telegraph, which was a sort of take-off of a newspaper, and I remember they had a, a, blurred, a blurred picture of began as if he was falling at a shot, and said, panic as last began, photos used. <laughs> and that column was done about seven or eight years ago. <laughs> so that tells you something about, about stuff. Um, yeah. But recently he... Uh, was uh, in Australia with someone who knows who's involved with Weta Workshop who uh, design and do special effects yeah, for New Zealand. Peter Jackson's well, New Zealand, I apologize. Uh, and it ends up being that 
he kind of wanted a new outfit and someone designed him a brand new sonic screwdriver and helped him do yeah and uh, the thing <laughs> and he just jumped on stage and basically said what do you think now Paul McGann is <laughs> we'll do interviews and we'll participate but he doesn't like having his photo taken so it's quite yeah. rare for him to to do that so in fact before this he'd only even Neverland, I think, was the last uh, photos. No, he did, that, he did that. He allowed a close-up picture of his face for To the Death to be done, uh, which made him look noticeably older, but obviously they've cropped his hair out uh, for the picture. And for the, the design of the image, it actually works. But with Big Finish, uh, for all their, their CDs, they usually do a little picture of the cast, you know, standing in the studio or, or outside the studio, just, you know, here's, here's the cast, stuff like that. And Paul McGann very rarely has ever even let himself be photographed. Neverland, I think. Neverland, I think, was the last one. They let, him, he let himself be photographed like once during the year. But even then, uh, so even when they said, like, we wouldn't do pictures of you for the covers, even just like, can we have a picture of me just standing about Paul? No. <laughs> so, yeah, the way I think it's odd that an actor who's uh, stock in trade, uh, all they do audio is, is to be seen want to be photographed. There you go. So, so basically, the idea that the Eighth Doctor, who we may or may not ever never see in television again, has an outfit and new pictures, just makes made our pants explode. Because it's like new pictures of the Eighth Doctor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway. So, so basically, the the Molly has some strange particles in her, which is kind of the thrust of it. So, I'm not not going to put too much detail about it, but suffice to say. It transpires that he needs to get out of the Great War situation. So she goes to the time machine, and as the Time Lord who's got the Doctor on the mission seems to have another shadowy Time Lord chap yes. uh, who's in, involved in it as well, but fighting against him. Said shadowy one played by Toby Jones. Indeed. He's he, not the Dream Lord. No, it's not the Dream Lord, there's no connection to that, which isn't a spoiler, but just to stop anybody giving some asinine theories. Yes. Uh, Toby Jones, who appears to be in everything these days. That's true. Do you know, it's one of these actors that um, he was in Doctor Who. And I, I vaguely recognised him, going, "Oh, I've seen him in something." But ever since, he just appears in everything. He can't seem to listen to anything or watch anything. Going, ah, it's Toby Jones. Yep. Great. Thanks for that. So basically, the the story involves them ending up sort of battling about time and space for a bit. The Doctor, uh, sort of flipping from kind of grief stricken to sort of coming back to kind of the Doctor that we know, all the while the Daleks and are going through their, their, their crazy plan to destroy yes. time itself. So I'm not going to give a huge details about it, but it's one of these stories that rattles along at a fair clip. True. It's, there are a few moments to breathe, but they really are just lulls before something else that's bad happens. Indeed. It's about four hours long, but it goes at quite a pace. It goes on basically the kind of pace you're used to if you're mostly familiar with a TV show. The new TV Well, the, it's all the same TV show. Yeah. Since it returned, basically, on television, it goes along with that kind of pace. Uh, it's, very good. it's very accessible, actually. It's been, uh, I mean, obviously you get publicity and people say these things and all that, and sometimes it's push. But, uh, no, so having listened to it, you really don't have to listen to any propaganda stories at you, all. Because you get... You get brought up to speed with minimal exposition because it is the Doctor dealing with what's happened prior. Yeah, I mean, you get it in the first five minutes, but you don't get anyone turning to the metaphorical camera and saying, so I am sad because of this and this, so it doesn't have that annoying lots of references to previous stuff. There's stuff in there, if you, if you get it, you get it, but it's not important. It, it has some, uh, it 
while it has the Daleks, there's no Davros. No. The big Finnish da Daleks, more often than not, don't have Davros anywhere near them. Yeah. It does have the uh, time controller Dalek. The, the, the sensational character find. Yes. Uh, this is the third appearance of the Dalek time controller. Well, again, it doesn't matter if you've not heard him before, it's explained who he is and what he's up to. And uh, he's a fiendish chap. Yes. And we can't really tell you much about his plans. Because it kind of gives away much of the plot. Yes. <laughs> but he's great, and you'll understand why. It was available, I don't know what the price is just now, but Ralph's going to tell us by oh, coming oh, up, because oh. we pre-ordered it and got it for £20. Oh, I, I can't, because that's my pre-order page. Oh, okay, so what we're going to do is right. go on the big finish. Let's go to the big finish. This is exciting audio, kids. But basically, you can, if you buy them from Big Finish, you can buy the CD, and if you do, you get a free uh, download version of it, or you can buy the download itself. Yeah. Well, that's about back up to normal price. It's £40 for four CDs. Uh, well, or, so you got a fifth CD, which is making it off. With, with some behind-the-scenes stuff, or you can get it as a download for £35. Yes. It's well worth it. Indeed. But it's one of these things that what I would suggest is, if you're going to do it, set aside an afternoon, because I... Foolishly, put one on just before going to bed, well, that's up about midnight, and it's one of these ones that's like, I can't really not listen to the rest of this now. Yeah, I, I foolishly, um, not quite that late, but put the first, well, I was listening to the downloads, I put the first you know, disc on yeah. about, you know, 7 o'clock at night, and then I had to listen to the whole thing, and it was like 2 in the morning until I finished getting through the extras. But, uh, Big Finish also have... They don't just do Doctor Who, they've oh. wisely sort of expanded their portfolio out. Yeah. Uh, now, of list of interest to I know a few people who uh, listen to this, is they did a 2000 AD range, which sadly didn't quite click with the 2000 AD fan base, which is a real shame. Now you have Johnny Alpha in two of them, or sorry, three of them actually, two Shotgun yeah. Dog ones and one where he teams up with Dread, voiced by Simon Pegg of Space, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz fame. And he is pitch perfect, as it. Yeah. Uh, and you have basically uh, a range of Judge Dread ones, uh, which are apparently reduced to four pounds. Some aren't available due to rights issues with the authors, but that's they always try to do that. Some of them you can't get in CD anymore, but you can get them all downloaded. And the ones that you can't get, they're just still. Yeah. It's all waiting on deals with certain authors. Is you also have Mark Gatiss playing Judge Death. Yes. What the robot is in one of them. True. Uh, they also do uh, Highlander. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Highlander's finished now. Yeah. They did do two series of it. Sarah Jane Smith before the TV before series. Before the TV show, Dalek Empire, uh, which is well, what it says on the tin. It's about the Daleks, but it's got bugger all to do with Doctor Who. And it's actually well, the first two series are really good. It kind of lost its way a wee bit after that, but it's not too bad. It's also incredibly cheap. Yes. Jago uh, Lightfoot, which features. Jiggle Lightfoot from, from Talons of Wing Chang, uh, Victoriana type adventures, which are not knockoff Sherlock Holmes, and they're absolutely fantastic, I quite like them. Dark Shadows, I've yet to ever see an episode of Dark Shadows, uh, which was uh, an American soap. With vampires. Vampire stuff. Uh, but I've listened to some of the audios, and they're very good. And uh, again, if I've never seen the t TV show, I can listen to them, was at the good. Uh, they did one called The Confessions of Dorian Gray, which was about. Don't agree. Um, a wee bit iffy that one. Well, it was very well acted and written, but it wasn't quite my cup of tea, but it wasn't bad, so your mileage may vary. But that was a, a download series, which was very cheap, uh, so not too bad. Uh, they do, well, they did Stargate, 
um, Stargate SG One stuff and Atlantis, uh, which I recently got some of the audiobooks on sale, and they were actually very good. Uh, they tend to focus on uh, Daniel and Mal, yeah, with, which, with like a guest voice, but they're, they're which actually good. kind of works because with the best will in the world, an audio with Teal'c would be dull as ditch water. The same with uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Yes. Hello. Uh, the, uh, the do Blake Seven, which they just started up last year. I've got one of the book. They do books and audios, and I've got one of the audios. But I've not had a chance to listen to it yet. But Sherlock Holmes is the best thing to do by a country country mile, in my opinion. It's uh, it's done in two ways. There's a basically readings of of the books uh, with yep. is it Richard Richard Earl, Earl yep. who plays Watson and. Others that are actually full full cast with Nicholas Briggs himself playing uh, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. they are fantastic. Yeah, there's a new series coming out. They're recording in March, yeah. which follows on. All CDs are downloads now. You've got. Uh, also done a couple of audiobooks of uh, Roger Llewellyn uh, reading out uh, one man shows, uh, which were quite good as well. Not really good, but uh, I, I mean. I, I think their Sherlock Holmes is the best stuff uh, they do because whether they are original stories or whether they are uh, readings of the Conan Doyle, they do what I'm not getting, which is now there's BBC Sherlock on television, which isn't my cup of tea at all. I, I, I don't I don't like I don't like the portrayal of Sherlock Holmes and the idea of Sherlock Holmes in the modern day. I, I find rather pointless. Uh, so. They're, I know people like them, I'm not saying they're bad, they're just not for me. Um, the, as well, you've got the films uh, with Robert Downey Jr. which are entertaining, but they're not Sherlock Holmes. The only time it felt like Sherlock Holmes was the face-to-face -face with Moriarty yes. in the second one. I mean, I watched both of them, I, I thought they were fine, I was, I was entertained, I didn't think they were bad, but they don't give me what I want, which is for me, Sherlock Holmes is Conan Doyle or Conan Doyle pastiches sitting back in the day, Baker Street, Cobblestone, stuff like that. So. If that's what you want and you're not getting it from the stuff, then I recommend it. And other stuff. So, um, have a look. They also quite often put episodes of stuff up for free as podcasts. Uh, so you can usually listen to stuff for the free. The first episode of something and, you can taste uh, They quite often uh, broadcast some of their Doctor Who and other stuff on uh, BBC Radio 7. Uh, so you can Radio 4 Extra. Radio 4 Extra is the call it now. I can figure out the call it. And you can, you can listen to stuff for free. So, so we... Go to bigfinish.com and give them some hard-earned money. And no, we're not affiliated with them in any way, shape or form. We just enjoy their products. So we're we're talking of affiliations. Uh, I, 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 I know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. I see how I was about to say that. I was about to tell about exciting news about this podcast. Yes. That's right. The exciting news, uh, dear listener, is that using comics-style counting, this, believe it or not, is not episode 2 point something. It is, in fact, episode 49. Yes, so uh, the next episode we'll see a grand, the Grand Marvel renumbering of episode 50. 50. Yes, yes. Uh, what, what can we look forward to in the exciting episode 50, Andy? I don't think we should tell them. Well, what do they deserve to know? We should give them some, some hints, some little teasers, some morsels. So, there will be some... You're going to pick a, pick a page number? 42. Of this thing in your hand. Okay. Give us a sense. Whenever you're ready. Okay. 
address. Can I have another page number? Page 43. Okay. Yes. I'm just trying to find, just give us a sense. Most farmers have fairly substantial numbers of potential customers within 90 minutes driving time from their farm bases. That will be our guest publication. This noisy here, here, will be our guest special Easter treat in January. In January. And this, this noise here is, is where the DVD drive on the computer is that's going to have something that we're going to want to talk about for episode 50. And this exciting sound bit here is Philip Ayer's contribution. It's true. Goodbye. Farewell. <laughs>